every spiritual practitioner would like to attend something. And always, whatever they attend, and that also sometimes it is lasting satisfaction, and many times we do lose that. So that's why I thought it is important to show the spiritual practice really should not have a fallback. Whatever we gain, we must able to maintain it and uh, remain as a satisfaction for the path, whatever we do. Basically, what I'm really saying is, maybe better say it straightforward, uh, some kind of temporary gain, good feelings, or emotionally moving, and all of those type of things uh, may not necessarily be the gain of spiritual products. What I really mean is spiritual products, whatever we gain, and that should be everlasting with the individual. Well, at the beginning, it's not possible to be everlasting. But practice, whatever you do, that should be capable of giving any practitioner everlasting benefit. That probably where we draw the lines of a perfect or, I don't want to say imperfect, but a good, perfect practice or different. Probably we have to draw a line on that. That is the reason why we call this series Attaining Lasting Satisfaction. Part of products, what do we share here, is coming, what my background is coming from Buddha, that are 2,600 years of Buddhist wisdom. And what does that do? And what does that really try to give their person, you know, again, I like to make it clear here. When I say what I do is coming from Buddhism, that doesn't mean I'm here to convert you people in Buddhism. That is for sure. It's not that I'm here, I'm not a Buddhist missionary. I'm not doing that. But what I'm doing is I'm sharing the spiritual development that what the Buddha experienced and are followed by many followers of the Buddha, millions of them, over the last 2,600 years, try to share that. And in that, whatever they're giving a spiritual gain, and that has to be lasting for within the person. So that's why the reason why we call it attaining the lasting satisfaction. We have emphasized so much how to help ourselves and how to benefit ourselves so much. We're going to be focusing benefiting others. So, but for benefiting others, in order to help others, we must know how to help ourselves. If we can't help ourselves, we will not be able to help others. 
The part what I share here is, uh, as I said earlier, it comes from Buddhism. And because that's the only I know. So I try to share whatever I know. I don't want to share something which I don't know. Because I don't know how to say it, how to talk about it. So, um, so it was, uh, it was uh, funny. Uh, we had a, a Tibetan Buddhist Center's conference in Garrison, New York, where His Holiness was uh, attending. And I happened to be on the chair at that time. Not chair, the chairman is coming. And I happened to be on the panel. And uh, then, they, then they asked a question saying the difference of the compassion and love aspects of uh, Tibetan Buddhism and, uh, and the normal Western tradition, can you clarify? So the chairperson happens to be the Professor Thurman. He looked around and he threw the question to me. And I don't want to speak. Uh, two reasons. Number one, the Dalai Lama is sitting there. People would love to hear from Dalai Lama, not from me. He was just sitting right over there. And uh, so, number two, the question is also very, uh, not a straightforward question. Let's put that way. And whatever it is. So I said, since I don't know anything, any other tradition, anything about it, and I should not be answering that question. So everybody laughed and so started clapping. Even His Holiness looked at me and he's doing like that. So that's the same thing. And uh, when I don't know anything about it, I better shut my mouth because uh, I can't. And also the you know great Buddhist saint and scholar from India called Dharmakiti. Dharmakiti said, and when you don't know what you're talking about, it you can't speak anything. The best thing for you is keep your mouth shut. So that's what it is. So what I'm really saying here is uh, I don't say anything which I don't know. And I like to say everything, little bit, whatever I know is with my background, with my knowledge. So therefore, 99.9% of the information you're going to get from me is coming from Buddhism. And uh, that is not as, uh, you know, it's very strange. Buddhism is a lot of people think, what is Buddhism? They think it is religion. And some people, they say it is not religion. It is a way of life. Some people say it is philosophy. And all of that type, they say. And uh, once I remember, and uh, His Holiness was, yeah, on Larry King Live, and uh, he was interviewed and followed by one congressman and the actor Richard Gay. Um, so interviewed after His Holiness talked. So then Larry King first asked to the Richard the Buddhist. He said the act, actor Richard Gay the Buddhist. So is it Buddhism? Is a philosophy or? religion or way of life. And uh, he was sort of laughing at Richard the Buddhist and he sort of laughed a little bit and then he said all of the above. So I think it is quite interesting. I love to say Buddhism is not a religion. 
I love to say, but if I say it, you know, my Buddhist friends may beat me up. <laughs> so better not say it. But, uh, but the true reality is, true reality is not a religion in the sense of normal Western understanding of religion. It's not. It really simply deals with how one individual can function in our everyday life. What makes its, uh, our function good and what makes it our function bad? What, how to improve the individual as a human being? How can I be a better human being than what I am? How can I be helpful for myself and for others? These are the really main questions, and that's what they really deal with this. So that's the reason why I love to say it's not a religion. But I can't say it. Because, you know, if I say Buddhism is not a religion, probably everybody, will, whoever hears this, probably say, that man must be crazy. Bound to say that. Since I mentioned that, and the essence in the Buddhism is also is this experience of the Buddha himself. How he has dealt with the problems that, just like we face today, the problems of hatred, the problems of anger, the problems of obsession and the jealousy and all of them. How did he face? What did he do to handle that? How did he overcome? And after overcoming that, what happens to him and this are the experience that what I'm talking about it. So the Buddhism really comes out. I mean, if it is good Buddhism, in my opinion. There are some Buddhists who will probably emphasize to praying and, and just sitting tight and all of those. That's a different story anyway. The good Buddhism, the really true Buddhism is that. So it really doesn't matter, uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever tradition you belong to or whatever it is. It is sort of more a method or way of handling negativities and negative emotions. Negative emotions become a big problem in Buddhism. According to the Buddha's experience, you have heard about this word called karma. Karma is uh, actually a Sanskrit word, a language that an ancient Indian language called Sanskrit. They have like four different ancient, four different categories of language. The language that gods speak, language that ghosts speak, language that the normal human beings speak. And uh, one I forgot. I can take care. Sorry, one is gone. There was a peep called the forgetness, so forget. I can't get it back. So at, at least at this moment. So anyway, four of those ancient traditional Indian system. You know, 
all these Indo-European things, language things, they're all drawn from mostly, oh, Pali. The fourth one is the Pali. Pali thing, yeah, that's, that makes the four language. So out of which Sanskrit is called language of God. So a lot of, a lot of traditional teachings, it's sort of a high, sophisticated, philosophical languages are used in Sanskrit. That's what it is. So the karma is one word. And what does that really mean? They're talking about cause and effects. Like if, to make it more clear, you know, if I do something good, I get good result. If I do something bad, I get bound to get bad result. Did my karma definition okay? <laughs> something like that type of thing. And as in order to make it a simple short, they have one word called karma. It's K-R-M-A, karma. So the karma becomes extremely important for people's life according to the Buddha's experience. Because whatever we experience today, good, well, joy, or suffering, whatever we experience today, and that is not just coming out of nothing. No, it is created by a second or third person. Then the question comes, where does it come from? So it has come from our personal deeds. So that's why karma is so important. It is almost everywhere in our life. Whatever we do, whatever we experience, it is karmically connected, everything. So that's why karma becomes important. Karma is almost like a creator type of thing. It's not a creator, but it's a creator type of thing, almost. So karma becomes so important. So then the question comes, who made this karma business? It is whose business is it? That question. So it's nobody else's business, it's our selfish business. Who made it? No one else did it except ourselves. Who experienced? Who benefits and who had disadvantages? Nobody else except ourselves. So thus, these are not just a religion's word that we have to believe in. It is, you know, not only a just philosophy, or it is just a theoretical viewpoint. Belief, dogma, dharma is nothing that type of thing. It is becoming reality. Reality that we can almost prove it to ourselves with the logical reasons, with the, what's happening with us. We can see it. It's quite, quite clear if we pay attention 
it happens to ourselves with a very vivid way we can see it. It is an actual reality that we cannot really deny. That's what, that's what, that's what it's all about it. Like if we did something wrong and there's something bad, something, if we hurt someone, we're going to get hurt. Either by this person himself or by law or by that person's family relation, whatever they get you back. So it's really quite a vividly we can see when we do something wrong, we can get hurt. And when we get something right and good, we can benefit. We can't see that easily. That doesn't come so easy. But the wrongdoing comes back quite easily. You need overall open mind watching what's happening in our life carefully. You will see that. And if you are not open-minded, if you just want it to be something else, we'll see hundred different things. But if you really carefully, fully, with open mind, observe, we will see that. So karma, not only is just a theoretical, not just a philosophy, it is not a, just a, a religion's belief, it is reality. True reality that's happening with us. So, where does the karma come from? Positive or negative both? Karma is nothing more than action of ourselves. The causal karma is nothing more than our own action. So how do we engage in our action within our life? These are very simple, very, very simple. It is yet we don't think. And our every action that we take, anytime, anywhere, it is the influence of our mind, our thoughts. Our thoughts direct our body, speech, and even mind. We take actions. Unless we are crazy, we don't do something without thinking, do we? Sometimes we just so simultaneously do, we dive and talk and do all that. But still, it is thought that went ahead and thought that pushes individual to do something. Is there anything we do without pushed or without is there anything? So you have to think with yourself. Even I want to go to bathroom, and uh, the thought of going to the bathroom comes first, because there's a physical need which indicates to the mind, and the mind recognizes, hey, I have to go to bathroom. Where is the toilet? Right? So no one goes to bathroom without thinking, I have to go to bathroom, do we? No one goes to the to brush our teeth without thinking that I have to wash my mouth. No one does. No one does anything without thinking. So the thought, mind becomes more important than matter for our life. 
So what do we do? We do everything, whatever we've been dictated by our mind. Our mind tells us, do something good, so we'll do something good. Our mind tells us, do something bad, hurt that person, so we do that. So the mind directs and controls our action. Therefore, mind directs and controls our karma. So really, what Buddha found out is how can I help myself? So he said, huh, I cannot do anything if I did something wrong. I can't change that. However, at the causal level, I can help myself to think the right way to do, right way of functioning, to be a good person, to be, don't hurt other people, generate compassion for myself and for others, develop love for me and for others. So that becomes really the key, because action and reaction cause and the result. So when you need to help yourself, when I wanted to help myself, and the way and the how I help myself is at the causal level, at the level of cause, not at the level of result, not the symptom. Symptom is a problem. But in order to avoid the symptom, you can't work at the result level, but work at the cost level. Cost level. So therefore, the cost fall down to the mind. So how does the mind function? Mind functions according to the emotion. When we are feeling sad and bad and all this, we cry and we go down and all that. And when we are happy and then we go up there, right? That's how our mind really functions like a, you know, the traditional Tibetan teachers will tell you, is this wild, crazy a monkey in temple. That's right. If you have a wild, crazy monkey in temple, they will not sit. They will jump here and there, knock down every decoration, and any offering fruit they will eat or throw them out, or even water offerings, monkey will drink and knock them out, right? Exactly that's our mind. So when you wanted to help ourselves, we have to catch that crazy monkey. And uh, try to train that monkey with all kinds of fruit and nuts and gifts and whatever. And uh, if you're going to, to beat the monkey up, the monkey will become more wild. Not only they knock things down, he will make a mess too. So the level of the way and how we help ourselves is through mind. So now let me say this. The Buddha's experience tells and knows Buddha knew the first thing to do is work with your mind. 
That's sort of a number one understanding we have to get. Work with the mind. Yes, physical work is important. And if you don't have a physical exercise, you become like me, couch potato, big fat one. So I was, uh, you know, I, I've been told uh, probably 30 times a day, say, you got to exercise, you got to move, you got to walk, you have to do this, you have to do that. I hear all the time, that's a great, it's a wonderful, but let it wonderful be a wonderful place. <laughs> so that is, the, that is my addiction, see? My addiction to couch potato makes me not to move. Um, so whatever I do, you know, I sit down and uh, enjoy sitting and then, you know, do whatever, whatever it is. Reading a book or watching a TV or saying prayers or doing meditation, whatever it is I like to do by sitting. So I'm addicted for that. That's my mind problem. So, you know, I have to get something to talk to my mind to change that. So this is exactly what the Buddhism tells you. And you have to con communicate with your mind and give the mind good guidance. Take that monkey around with the apple in hand. You know, like we do take the goat and carry it and goat, you know, business. Apple in hand, take the mind. So what does this mind do? If the mind has been influenced and reflection of negative emotions, such as hatred or obsession, then the result is bound to be bad. Because if you hate someone, if it's a hatred, it's going to get hurt. And going to get hurt everybody. Not only are you going to hurt that person, you're going to get hurt as well. So you know, cause and reaction. That's what's going to bound to be bad. So on the other hand, just opposite, if you try to be helpful, if you try to be helpful, kind, gentle, and wonderful, the result is bound to be better one. Action and reaction again. No matter how many people, one get very suspicious of you, very angry, don't want to bother you, bother about you, don't care, you know, but no, no, even then, no matter how much constantly, continuously you try to be nice to that person, after a little while, after all, it's a human being. So what's the matter with this person? It's not so bad as I thought. They will change their mind. We all know that. We all do. We do. We see other people doing all the time. That's why the karmic effects of the individual, of people, are because of that. So if we have positive emotions, and we're bound to something good, like a faith, or that type of, you know, good positive emotions, bound to bring some good action. And hatred, or jealousy, or Obsessions are bound to bring some bad actions. And that's why karma is how we create it. Without knowing every action we do, we create karma.
Karma doesn't waste, doesn't disappear. It is saves. And sooner or later, it gives it a result. So when Buddha found it, we don't want the sufferings. That is common knowledge. Unless you are crazy, no one wants suffering. No one wants pain. Everybody would like to have peace, harmony, comfort, and joy. Who doesn't want it? And I don't want to say who doesn't want it. If you are, if you are somebody here who doesn't want it, raise your hand. I'm not going to say it. Why? Because I'm not going. I'm going to say immediately. Whoever raises hand, that is crazy person. <laughs> so I don't want to say raise your hand. That's what I want, don't want to say. So, so then what did Buddha really found? The wisdom number one is if you don't want the suffering, if you want to avoid the suffering, don't create action that causes suffering. That's the reason why negative emotions are called negative. That's why they're bad. That's why they are called non-virtuous, unwholesome. And opposite side is becomes virtue, good, and all that. On the basis of what consequences that thought will bring. On that basis, we have to, we, ourselves, we have to judge our action by ourselves, nobody else. Nobody else judge on us. Well, you can't say in law, and in law here, we don't accept anybody else's judgment, the judge will judge anyway, right? You can't say that. If you say that, we get into jail again, attempt of court or something, right? So anyway, so, Actually, we shouldn't receive any judgment from anybody else. You are the best judge for yourself. Simply, why? Because your thoughts and your mind is not a secret for you. It is secret for everybody else. What you think, what you have in your mind is only known to you, not to others. Unless you say it, you can't shut your mouth and keep on saying, bah, 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 and then it's different. Otherwise, it's only known to you, so that you are the judge for yourself. So where you judge for yourself is your action, and it is consequences. On that basis, you make judgment. So the Buddha's experience tells the Buddha, Negative emotions influence the mind, and that mind makes the individual to do something bad. And the positive emotions influence the mind, that mind makes that person to do something good. So that's why the decision came, conclusion came, so negative emotions are bad. It brings bad 
consequences. So give us some way of thinking how my action within the day, what will that make a difference to me? Give us some light of judging ourselves on the basis of our action. So that way sometimes it is good to people, but sometimes it's bad because our mind is known to us. When you start thinking, oh my God, I did this, I did that, I did that, I did this and that and this and that, all, you know, the, what do we call it, normal American language, the can of worms, when it opens up, all of them pops up. If you don't know how to handle when the can of weapons, uh, wombs been opened up, can of wombs, worms, when it opens up, if you don't know how to handle it, then it becomes overwhelming. And we don't know what to do, and we put our heads down, start crying, and do all that sort of thing. But actually, opening the can of worms is good for Honestly, good for us. It is nothing new that we have. It is only noticing what we already having with us. So what? We had them for years and nothing happened to me. And if I notice today I still have that, it's not going to explode. Honestly, if you can think that way, great way of handling that. So but... I had to pick up those worms, one by one, throw them out. Don't have them in our system. If we see huge hatred, try to pick them up as much as possible. If you can't pick up, take off their legs, take off their wings, take off their hands, take off their head, take off their body parts, and try to throw them out. Replace them with their compassion, care, love, and to see what happens. The can of a worm can become can of goodies. <laughs> and that is Buddhism. That is Dharma. And that is what Buddha really went through. And that is Buddha's experience. That is how you can help yourself. And when you know that, that's how you can help others. Wherever you look, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what tradition you belong to. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter whatever you do. But the, the really, the reality really is how we remove those wounds and how we're going to replace them by nice goodies. Chocolates. <laughs> Nuts. So chocolate being the compassion and the walnuts being the care, caring, careful, Care for ourselves and care for the others. 
And whenever we say, I don't care for myself, but for the others, it's very hard to swallow and buy it. Unless uh, some kind of mother talking about her daughter or kids from the mother's point of view, not from our point of view. When we look to our mother, you know, we're going to get all kinds of, oh, this is that, and that, and that, and that, and that, we have that. But when you look from the mother's window, and particularly those, you have your own children, and you know it. It's a big difference, shocking difference, between the, even one person, if your mother, and you look, how you look to your mother, and how you look to your children. It's a big difference. Whatever your mother did, everything's wrong. Whatever your kids are doing, everything's wonderful and beautiful and uh, great. So that's what it is. So from your own, as a mother, from his own window, you have to look. That is caring. That's a compassion. That's a love I'm talking about. And that has to be replaced. Those wounds. The hatred. The jealousy, the obsession, and confusion and the fear together. We call it, I call ego, the biggest, most dangerous, the queen bee in that can of worm is this one. So, well, I didn't really talk much what I'm supposed to talk here today, utilizing your present situation for practice. What really happens is whatever circumstances or situation where we are, actually the life what we have and the mind what we have, it has a tremendous capacity and a tremendous value. So anything in this life, in, with this mind, of human mind, I'm not talking about crazy people. I'm talking about people such as yourself, who are not absolutely crazy, but a couple of screws are loose. <laughs> so that's not bad, okay? So the, the, the opportunity of the spiritual part to attaining lasting satisfaction is a tremendous. I keep on saying sky is the limit. It is so important for us to utilize that. And that is also what I'm talking is Get rid of those worms out of the can and replace them. Don't throw the can out. That's just alive. That's the body. So by ending the life will not give you any betterment at all. Doesn't end any suffering or pain at all. It creates more suffering more pain. I'll talk to you later. Why? But that's the reality, believe me. So don't throw the cane out, but clean the cane. 
throw the worms out, filled up with the love, chocolate, compassion, nuts. What else do you want in there? <laughs> jewel. Mind is jewel. The mind is a jewel. Not only just a jewel, wish fulfilling jewel. The lucky genie, the magic lamp. That is mind and life. So I have to make use of that. Are you saying that our thoughts come from our emotions? Uh, no. I'm saying emotions influence our mind okay. and that creates thought. I give normally example is mind is like a beautiful, clean, clear, crystal lampshade. No color. But emotions are becomes light bulbs, red light bulb, green light bulb, or blue light bulb. And then you turn the light on, walk across the room, started looking, oh yeah, there is red lampshade, there is a green lampshade. Blue lampshade. It's not green, it is not blue, it's not red, but looks like it because it's a reflection of the light bulbs. The same thing. Emotions reflect the mind. Mind looks like hatred. And that looks like even the person is angry person all the time. Person is not angry. The person is driven to the to be in that situation by every circumstances. When you go and look deep down on the person, it is a beautiful human being, kind, caring, compassionate. But the circumstances make that person look like angry all the time. If you say hey, they will say boo. So to that person, they're driven to that level because of those negative emotions. And we will see them like that. That is the reflection of the negative emotions. That's what I meant. Thank you for the question. It helps to clarify better. I'm glad you raised that question. You know, because I keep on going through brrr. So they didn't really explain in between, you know, thoughts, emotions, persons, mind, and blah, blah, blah. So I went too fast. So what does the Buddha's experience tells us? Well, try to change that reflection. Changing negative emotions means changing that, you know, that light and the green light and light bulbs. Have a natural light bulb and see how it looks, rather than red light bulb and green light bulb and all that. That's what I'm saying. It is Dharma and Buddhism. And that's why I say it's not religion. It's a way how a human being can function, make it better. Thank you.